Thanks for joining us this morning, and thanks for joining us online. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to look at verse 14 through 16, and then we're going to look at verses 47 through 56. So Matthew chapter 26, 14 through 16, and then 47 through 56. We are in a very short series we started last week that we're calling In Courage. I in in courage. Just as we are, um, just that's where many people are. We need to be encouraged and encouraged in Christ. Last week we looked at Isaiah. Um, and this week we're going to look at, at, at Jesus. Just looking at Jesus. Matthew 26, 14 through 16 says this. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. And then verse 40, 47 says, Jesus, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great cloud with swords and clubs, with, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. We're thanks for the freedom to gather together and to worship. We're thanks for the example of Christ and his life for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that as we look at your word, that you would just teach us this day, encourage us, comfort us, correct us, that you just remove every distraction and we just hear from you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The necessity of encouragement is very important during this current season. And there, there's a real need. It's, it's crucial. And there's all kinds of false encouragements that people are going to in the last few months. There's, there's, there's been an uptick in drugs. There's been an uptick in um, alcohol uh, dependency. There's been an uptick in anxiety, in depression, in suicides, and just the, the use of opioids. This is the culture that we are uh, living in. And last week, we said to be encouraged, and to be encouraged, you need to know your purpose, you need to know your place, and you need to know your protector. Our purpose is to glorify God. Our place as believers is in the kingdom of God, and our protector is a God who actually cares for us. He, he cares for us. And today, as we looked at that in the Old Testament this morning, I just wanted us to look 
at Jesus himself, the person of Jesus, and be encouraged and corrected by looking at the only perfect picture of courage, which is Jesus Christ. William Grinnell in the 1600s said this, Who among us has not learned from his own experience that it requires another spirit than the world can give to follow Christ fully? We often, in our own experience, we lose courage. We, we lose even our courage and our trust in Christ. About a month ago, I was sitting in my office stunned and shocked at how quickly I had lost courage. One of my seminary professors told a story when he was at work one day, and he had a guy come into to work and say to him, hey, what's the word? And my seminary professor said in that moment, he said, Jesus. And the guy sat down and said, I think you're right, and I ended up having this great conversation about Jesus Christ. That has stuck in my mind for over 20-some years now, and I've waited for the day when someone would walk into my office and say to me, hey, Paul, what's the word? And I was going to say, Jesus, and it happened a month ago. A guy walked into my office who does some business here for the church. He walked in. I'm studying. It was a Tuesday morning, and he says to me the words I've been waiting to hear for 20-some years. Hey, what's the word? And in my head, it was, say Jesus, say Jesus, say Jesus. I don't know where this guy is spiritually. Say Jesus. I didn't say Jesus. I had some, I, I said some awkward statement about the corona. And we ended up getting, we, I talk to this guy on a regular monthly basis. We always have great conversations. I get into a conversation with him about the coronavirus, and it was awkward conversation. Uh, we had some differing views on some things. It was an awkward conversation. I left. He, he left. I left. We usually have a great conversation. It was awkward. We, you could feel the awkwardness. He went doing his thing. I went doing my thing, sitting in my office, shaking my head, saying, how did that just happen? How, how did we lose courage? So much so... It bothered me that he was back this past week. He walked in, I said hello, and I said, hey, I need to apologize to you. I said, a month ago you came in, you asked me, hey, what the word, what's the word? And what I should have said was Jesus. And instead we got into that awkward conversation about the coronavirus. Remember that? And he goes, hey, it's okay. He was very gracious. He accepted my apology. And then he said this. He said, you know what the problem is right now? I don't know where this guy is spiritually, honestly. Because you know what the problem is right now? The problem is, with everything going on, Jesus is not right here. He's not in the front of our minds. He's, he, this is what he said to me. And I said, yes. He, we, he is not in the front of our minds as we go through situations. He goes, you know where, with everything going on, Jesus is not right here. He's not in the front of our mind. He's not our first Thought. We end up carrying things, even as believers, that instead of praying and casting them before God first, we, we, we carry them for a few days trying to think how we're going to figure it out ourselves, and then we go to God. We think in our own courage, I can handle the situation, I can deal with it. Instead of saying, hey, the word is Jesus, we lose our courage. Maybe you've had experiences like that, or maybe even now in your own situation, you're losing some courage spiritually. You can sense it. Where you are lacking or losing courage. Or 
maybe to deal with all the situations in your life, you're looking for places to find courage. And where are you looking for those things? Courage that counts and that actually encourages us is found only in Christ, who is courage for all of our crises. And nobody knew crisis better than Jesus. Nobody has understood crises better than Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, this is the beginning of the Passion Week stories for Jesus. He has been traveling along, saying who he was, teaching people who he was. He gathered his disciples, if you read through Matthew. He, he confronted the scribes and Pharisees. with He had told them, these are not the way to go. This is not the direction to go. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they did not like this reality. They didn't like Jesus coming up and saying these things to them. And they had said earlier at the beginning of Matthew 26, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Already up to this point, three times, Jesus is walking with his disciples to Jerusalem, and he says to them, he's saying, uh, in three times in Matthew, Jesus told his disciples, hey, we're going this way, and he predicted to them th- th- that he was going to die. Jesus is 100% God and 100% human. Do not forget the humanness of Jesus. Even today, we have a God who is 100% human. So this crisis that Jesus is carrying as a human being, walking, talking to his fellow friends, hey, we're we're heading forward to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. We're going to die. He tries to tell them this three times, they they don't quite pick up on it. Then he gets to Jerusalem, they develop this plot to kill him, and as you go through Matthew chapter 26, he has the Last Supper with the disciples, they eat it together, and Jesus says, let's go to Gethsemane to pray. And in the Garden of Gethsemane is the place in Scripture where we see more clearly the pure, 100% humanity of Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, and he goes to the Father and says, If this cup can pass from me, take it away. But if not, I'll do your will. And it so consumes him in the Garden of Gethsemane that he's he's sweating drops of blood. It's so intense. The crisis, the pressure on Jesus is unbelievably immense. It's intense. And then, while he's talking to the disciples who are sleeping, and he's saying to them, go ahead and rest, because the time has come. Then he says, rise, let us be going, see, my betrayer is at hand. And at that moment, Judas and a whole pack of guys walk up to arrest Jesus. And Judas comes after him, and Judas had been looking for an opportunity. He he had seen just a few moments earlier that this this woman had come to Jesus' feet, she had this, this ointment, And she broke it open, poured it over Jesus' feet. And Judas possibly had seen that and said that he, he, he had collected the money for the disciples. He had watched Jesus. 
And maybe at that moment, Judas, who, was, who thought it was a waste of money to do that, and Jesus said to this disciples when they were upset that that woman poured out the alabaster box, a flask of oil on his feet, Jesus said, it was very beautiful what she did to me. As long as the gospel's preached, her story will be told. That may have been the moment when Judas said, this is, this is not the, what I signed up for. He, he isn't going to be the king that I thought he was going to be. And something in Judas tipped the point where he went to the leaders and said, what will you give me if I give you Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver, which was nothing, really. They gave 30 pieces of silver to people whose slave was goaded by an animal. It's nothing, basically. He betrayed Jesus for nothing. And then verse 16 says, And from that moment he sought an opportunity to betray him. There was all this pressure on Jesus everywhere. And he kept his courage. And Judas went to betray him. And as soon as he had got some confirmation, he was looking for an opportunity to betray him. There will always be opportunities for you to find what you're looking for. If, if you want to be angry during this season, you'll find an opportunity to do that. If you want to be discouraged during this season, you'll find an opportunity to do that. If you want to be disappointed in this season by people, by church, by, by family, by work situations, you're, you're going to find the opportunity. Judas had no problem that he was looking for the opportunity to betray Jesus, and, and, and he found the opportunity. But if you also, in this moment, see the beauty of Jesus like the woman, that's a gift of God to you. Because all this climbing pressure was coming on Jesus. Everybody wanted him dead. He knew he was going to be killed. His own follower had rejected him. But notice just the control and calmness of Jesus Christ in the situation. He, he, he gets to the scene. He knows what's coming. And Judas, while he's speaking, it says, while, while he was speaking, Judas came in, one of the twelve, with a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the t- people. It was unbelievably contemptible what Judas did. He, he walks up and he kisses Jesus, which was a normal greeting for someone who was a rabbi. They would either kiss someone's hand or kiss them on the cheek. You can still see that in the Middle East when people do that. But for the way Judas did it, the word is that he, he, he did this, he lingered. He, it was dark in the garden. He walked up, and he wanted to make sure they knew who Jesus was. They didn't have the light. They had all, everybody was kind of dressed the same. He walks up, and he, he kisses Jesus either on his hand or on his cheek, and he, he lingered at it so that everybody would know this is the one. And in that moment, there's this crowd, this large crowd, it says. It could have been up to hundreds of guys came with clubs and with swords to capture him. And in this confusion, in this unbelievable, chaotic, stressful, intense moment, this contemptible deed of betrayal, 
great confusion happens. If you read all the accounts of this story, every gospel account talks about the betrayal of Jesus. It's not a waste of words. They would spend the time to to write the whole story out. They could have just said, if it didn't matter, they could have just said Jesus was betrayed by Judas and gone into the crucifixion. But every gospel account goes to the details of what happened in this scenario. This unbelievable, intense situation, they all talk about it, and great confusion happens. John says in his gospel that when Jesus spoke, they they fell over. And Peter is the one who took out his sword, the Bible says, and cut off, in the confusion, the high priest's ear. It's a chaotic scene, high stress, high pressure. We've seen all these types of pictures all summer long on TV. This is what Jesus was going through. These crowds of people, swords and clubs, ready to take them. And Jesus is the one who's controlled and calm. There's great confusion. And and, and the one who is out of control, it says one of his followers pulled out a sword. And Luke says it was Peter. And he chopped off Malchus' ears, which seems in our minds commendable, doesn't it? Like, if I was with Jesus and he was going to get attacked, that seems to be the thing that I would want to do. I, 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 wanted, I would want to protect him. It seems very commendable. But instantly, Jesus says, that's the, that's the incorrect way to deal with this situation. That's not the way to go. That, that, that's wrong. That's not commendable. And he says to Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? A legion with 6,000 men. Jesus said, do you not think that I could send thousands upon thousands and overwhelm this army? But Peter, he was anxious. He, he, He wanted to go after Jesus, and in that big, chaotic, confusing crisis scene, the only one who was calm was Jesus. I mean, you you read that scene, notice the calmness of Jesus Christ. How he spoke to Judas. When Judas comes to him, he says to him, Friend, what you came to do, do. It was a warm greeting. When he spoke to Peter, put your sword away. Don't you think that I could have called thousands of angels to stop this? And then when he spoke to the group of people in other passages, it says, are you come out to me, to the crowd? Have you come out to me like I'm some robber with swords and clubs? Wasn't I publicly with you? teaching in a synagogue day after day? Didn't you, didn't you see me? And now you've come to me with all these clubs, you've got all these guys, swords, robbers. Jesus is the only one calm. Why is that? Why is, that, is, why is Jesus in the midst of this able to have courage, to not lose his courage, to have that kind of calmness? Why is that? I think it's found in verses 54 and 56. It says this, But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? And verse 56 says, But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Why was it that Jesus, 
in the midst of an unbelievable crisis, pressure that none of us have ever felt or experienced. Why was it he was able to be that calm, to stay under that much control, when people are coming for his life? His own followers are not responding correctly. They're out of control. I mean, when Peter's out there whacking away. He, he chops off his ear. He totally misses him. And I'm sure he, the guy ducked or changed or moved a little bit. He's out of control. And there's Jesus in control in the midst of chaos. Why? Because he says, Scripture must be Fulfilled. Because the kingdom of God's perspective on things is different from our perspective on things. When Jesus was in the midst of this, the reason and the way and the why of his courage was he had confidence that the kingdom of God is controlled by the word of God. It's controlled by the word of God. Jesus said it must happen. Scripture said it must happen. Which means what God said will come to pass and we are called to trust him. When you are in the midst of crisis and you're starting to lose courage and scripture doesn't seem to fit and you're you're just saying, is this true? Jesus believed the Old Testament. He believed the word of God. He He believed that that was God's word and what God said was true. And the kingdom of God is controlled by the word of God. And what God said will come to pass, and we're called to trust him. Jesus did. Jesus, in the midst of the most chaotic experience of his life, he held on to what the Bible said from the Old Testament. He said, this must take place. I'm going to trust God with this. It also says to us that God is the ultimate architect of history. This is what Jesus was telling us. He's saying this is our, this is, this is history. This will take place because God said it will take place. Job 42.1. After he had gone through great struggles, Job in the Old Testament, unbelievable suffering. At the end of Job, Job says this in Job 42.1. I know that you can do all things. Speaking of God, I know you can do all things and that no purposes of yours can be thwarted. Jesus read and knew the book of Job. And he knew the word of God, and he said, what God said must come to pass. Because all scripture was about him. It also says God is the ultimate architect of history. History is God's story. It's going in a direction. It's his story. There is a plan, and God knew that. Jesus knew that. In this unbelievable amount of crisis, he knew that this crisis is fully human, And fully God was the plan and history of God. And God has ultimate authority over all things. In Acts 4, 27-29, it says this. After this this whole event took place, after the crucifixion, Peter and John are thrown in prison for sharing the gospel, talking about Jesus, talking about the resurrection. In Acts 4, 27-29, they get out of prison and they say this. As a prayer, they're praying this. And part of the prayer is, For truly, in this city, we're gathered together. In Jerusalem, for truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, 
to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The kingdom of God perspective that Jesus had that allowed him to be and continue to be calm and courageous in the midst of great crisis was understanding that all the words of God will come to pass. Scripture is true. Jesus believed the word of God. Jesus also knew that ultimately God's the architect of history, and he's moving the world in a plan and in a direction. This is his story that we are called, and he was called to live out. And Jesus also knew that God has ultimate authority over all things. Jesus knew his purpose, Jesus knew his plan, and Jesus knew his protector, and he trusted in it. Because the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. And how does that practically help us in your moments of crisis, in our moments of crisis now? Jesus' comment to Peter was, put your sword back in its place. Peter's response to the crisis was to respond the way the kingdom of the world responds, with power and aggression and attack, which seems like the normal response, which seems like, for some of us, our normal response. There's four ways how Jesus held courage, and I would like to show how we need to practically hold courage. And the one is to put our swords back in our place. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of this world. With everything happening this last few months, there's been an uptick, major uptick, in weapons, ammunition buying, protecting yourselves. It's not wrong to have those things. The disciples had swords. It was common. Jerusalem was was built up again. Lots of people were coming in for Passover. Thousands of people would come into Jerusalem. And and so it was, was normal for people to have something to protect themselves from robbers and thieves. Jesus never told Peter one time, what are you guys doing here with swords? Why did you bring weapons to this? Never one time did that come out of Jesus' mouth. What came out of Jesus' mouth was put your sword back in its place. Because this is God's plan. And my question is, as many of us in our culture, in our area, very protected. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. The question is, what are you trusting in more? Are you trusting in more right now in the crisis of the world with your stockpile of ammunition? Or are you trusting more in, the, in God? You say, well, God wants me to be prepared. He wants me to trust in him. He, he, wants me to be, he wants me to be wise. There is a truth to that, but there's also an attitude that if you're not careful, you can say, well, I've got to get this to protect myself. If somebody comes to my family, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to destroy people. Jesus said, put your sword back into its place. What if, for some of you, All the money that you have stockpiled in ammunition, in the possible thought of the protection you may need, was spent in maybe areas that the kingdom of God needs. 
We read the story of the woman, the end of this, about this alabaster box of ointment. And the disciples, they all got irritated that she wasted money. You know, and we can look at that and say, well, yeah, what's the big deal? It's perfume. What if you took it as perfume and asked yourself, you know, what if this was ammunition? What, 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 if, what if somebody took all their ammunition and instead of keeping it for themselves, they, they sold it back and they used that money for the kingdom of God's use? You say, that's ridiculous. That's as outlandish as it was for this woman to do what she did. She took this expensive amount of oil and she busted it open and poured it out for the kingdom of God on Jesus' feet. And Jesus said it was a beautiful thing. Just be careful that if you are stockpiling for what you think might come, make sure it's not because you think your courage will help stop something from coming. Make sure that you're not trusting in your weapons, but you're trusting in God. Jesus said, put your swords away. The kingdom of God is not won by violence. It never has been. And it never will be. The second thing we need to be very careful with our weapons is we have a culture right now that is filled with we are going to use our words to to slash and cut people all over the place. Proverbs 12.18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You're like, yeah, I don't buy guns, Paul. I'm not packing my, I'm not, I'm not packing for ammunition. But I'll tell you what I am packing. I've been on the, I've been on the internet and I've been telling everybody the way they should be and how they should do it and what, and who they should, who they should vote for and how it should be handled. You need to be very careful as we go and through this next few months that maybe we need to put our swords back in their place. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Are you living in the kingdom of the world where everybody says your opinion, this is the way it's supposed to be, and you're just out there slashing and attacking people, and people look at your social media, look what you say, And they see these sword slashes. And then they see over here, follower of Jesus Christ. Those two things don't match up. If you are out here slashing with your words or with your typing, rash, harsh, angry things, and then put follower of Jesus Christ over here, Jesus would say to you, put your sword back in your place. Be very careful with your words. And with our wisdom, and in our day, there's all kinds of of talk more and more about our ability to overcome. We can get through this. We can get through this together. We can do this. We can overcome more self-help, more self-determination. If I just just get down and, and, and just work my way through, Jesus would say to you, if that's your attitude... That I, nothing's going to knock me down. I'm going to get through 2020. I'm going to just put my head down, and I'm going to just keep staying positive, keep moving in the right direction. Jesus would say to you, put your sword down. Put your sword back in its place. Proverbs 28, 6 says, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be 
delivered. If your attitude, if your way to address the situation is to say, okay, I've got to do this, I've got to use positive thinking, I've got to use my energies, whoever trusts in his own mind, the Bible says, is a fool. But he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs says. So we need to watch our, our trust in our weapons. We need to watch our trust in our words. We need to watch our trust in our own wisdom. We need to watch our trust in our own wishes, which is the wish that we all believe is that God would not want me to suffer. That's what we all want to believe. We we all want to believe that God would not want me to suffer. So if I am suffering, this is something that shouldn't be happening to me. The truth is that God has called us to suffer. He called Jesus to suffer. Jesus was in the garden praying, if this cup will be removed from me, take it but he says jesus said but i understand and i'm willing to choose to suffer because this is your will for me so jesus would say to you if you're like i, I can't believe god's letting me go through this the work situation is not what i'm doing I-, I i don't like my job i hate the situation i'm in i hate this situation god wouldn't really want this for me so god doesn't care it's not true we may wish that to be true but the reality is god has called us to suffering He said, don't be surprised when trials come our way. And we need to put down our swords and put them back in our place if we're going to trust in our own wishes. Where does that leave us? If if we're not supposed to trust in our weapons for courage, if we're not supposed to trust in our own words for courage, if we're not supposed to trust in our own wisdom for courage, and if we're not supposed to trust in our own wishes for courage, where, where does that leave us? What do we have to trust in? What we have is the promises of Christ. This chaotic scene ends with, then all the disciples left him and fled. They, they wanted to cancel Jesus. They spent three years with him. He was supposed to do what they wanted him to do. They, he didn't do it. And they decided that we're just going to cancel him. And we will just flee so much so that in Mark it says one of the disciples, when they, he, he ran away naked. He escaped naked, which was to show just how far off these guys have betrayed him. To, to, walk away, to walk away naked in that culture is just be, to just be absolutely shamed. But they were absolutely willing to be ashamed so that they wouldn't be counted with Christ. They, they cleared out. They were done with him. Yet Jesus continued with his courage. They were corrupt. They sinned. And this is what sin does. There was a, there's, a, there's an old catechism that asks the question, how does sin affect me? And the answer is sin alienates, alienates. It estranges me from God, from my neighbor, from God's good creation, and from myself. And this is what happened to the disciples. They were with Jesus. They were watching this amazing scene of calmness and courage. They didn't get any of it. They responded in the way of the kingdom of the world while Jesus was responding in the way of the kingdom of God. And they left him. They abandoned him. They sinned. They were estranged from God. They were estranged from their neighbor. They were estranged from God's good creation. And they were estranged from themselves. 
And they were without hope on their own strength. But the promises of Christ is there was great compassion. Because the Bible says in what Renee read this morning for scripture reading in 1 Samuel, this prayer of Hannah, who was Samuel's mom, she prayed, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. This is what God does. This is what Jesus knew. Nothing thrills God's heart more than to raise up people who are made from dust, and from dust they will return, and who abandon God at the first chance they have. Nothing thrills God more than to raise up the poor from the dust and lift up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. All the ways of the world... All the ways of the kingdoms of this world will fail. The disciples tried them. They failed. They were left with nothing. They had one option. They could trust Christ. They could trust the promises of God. They could could trust Christ. They, They chose to run away. But God in his unbelievable grace loves to draw people back. He loves to draw people back. He has unbelievable compassion. The one who cut off Malchus's ear was Peter. He, he said, Jesus, right before this, I will never deny you. I will not deny you. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, by the end of this day, you will deny me three times. Peter just got done hearing that from Jesus. They go out. Judas comes to betray him. And, and Peter probably knew that Jesus had said that about him and said, I'll show Jesus. I'm not going to betray him. Pulls out his sword. Doesn't get it at all. A few minutes later, this two little servant girls walk up to him. Aren't you with Jesus? Weren't you with Jesus? No, I wasn't with Jesus. Aren't you with Jesus? No, I wasn't with Jesus. Weren't you with Jesus? No, I wasn't with Jesus. Jesus turns and looks at him, and Peter is devastated. All his courage was gone. And he goes off and he weeps bitterly. He lost all his confidence. What was his only hope? His only hope was the fact that Jesus continued to do what he was called to do. He went to the cross. He died. He suffered for our sins. He rose again. And then, after he rose, he called Peter back to himself and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus pulled up Peter from the dust, had compassion on him, and called him back to himself and he said, trust me. You can't do this on your own strength. You will not make it through the end of a pandemic during an election year with a Supreme Court justice conversation as a Christian in this world with courage unless you find your courage in something other than yourself. If you try to find it in your weapons, if you try to find it in your words, if you try to find it in your own wisdom, if you try to find it in your own wishes, it will fail. The only hope that we have as followers of Christ is to put all our hope and trust in the promises of Jesus Christ and in his confidence. Because it was Peter 
who at the end said this as Barbie read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Don't check out on hearing scripture. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that this is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The one who absolutely abandoned Jesus, lost all courage, Jesus called him back to himself. The same thing as he wants to do with you. If you are struggling with trusting that God has a good plan for you, the one who can help you in that is Jesus Christ himself. Trust in his promises. Worthy is the Lamb. And may God give us the grace to walk in courage and to trust in Christ alone. Let's pray.